This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of O Ship. This week, I've got my friend Brian Morrissey joining us. Now, if you haven't run into Brian before, he is the founder of a new media publication called The Rebooting. But you may know him from some of his prior roles where he was the editor-in-chief of Digiday and actually also the president. He was the digital editor at AdAge, which is where I uh, first met him. Worth noting, even though I, I consider him a friend now, I think I was kind of terrified of him when he was the digital editor of AdAge. So I always had to, felt like I had to be on my, my, my uh, best, or ad week, excuse me, not AdAge. Uh, I was, was a little, little nervous when I had to you know I had a Brian Morrissey meeting coming up. You know, over the years, I've really got to know him well from meeting him in all different places and industry events over the years and, and just found him to be a, a really personable and uh, intelligent and emotionally intelligent guy. And that's why today's episode, I think, is going to be so interesting because we're going to not only talk about what it means to be a, a new founder and solo entrepreneur in the media business uh, and, and what he's trying to do there, which I think in itself is interesting, but also really take a very personal side uh, to his journey of what it means to be an entrepreneur for the first time. You know, and this is a guy who's talked to a lot of really, really clever folks over the years, uh, whether they were you know, entrepreneurs or just leaders of, of really successful organizations. And so I think he's got a, a great perspective on what success uh, looks like and what it takes to be successful. But now he's out there on his own, you know, doing it for the first time. And I think learning a lot of new stuff along the way. So I think this is going to be a, a really engaging episode. And I'm looking forward to all of you meeting Brian. I, I encourage you to ask questions in the chat. We'll do our best to address them. And here we go with another week of OSHIP. Brian, welcome to O'Ship. Thank you. I'm so impressed. This is like doing cable TV. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever openly admitted to you. You probably had no idea that I was mildly terrified of you when you were the editor at Adweek. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's totally true, but I'll go with it. I don't know if it's a compliment. I also don't know if it's a compliment. So <laughs> you're like, you're like, I'll take it. You're like, I'll take it. You know, no, no one wants to be an idiot in Adweek. <laughs> and it takes yeah, effort for me exactly. not to be an idiot. So no. Well, uh, Brian, again, you know, I, I, uh, I, I tried to give a little bit about your your backstory, uh, you know, in the intro, and I hope I hope I did it justice. But I'd love for you to tell um, the audience a little bit more about about the rebooting and what what you're working on now. Yeah, I mean, I've been a journalist for 20 years, and it's been interesting because, like, I've both covered like how the business of journalism is changing because, like, early on, like. I, I remember coming out of journalism school, I was like, oh my God, like I need to differentiate somehow. And, and so for, for me, it was like about specialization. So I specialized early on in really the growth of online advertising. And it was funny because I was like covering the stuff that was completely like new and growing and changing like, you know, the industry. But at the same time, I was living like this. Uh, it was a weird life because I was living in uh, working for these publications that couldn't figure out their business models because of these very forces I was I was covering. So it was an interesting perspective, and that's like you know that's informed 
sort of what I'm doing because you know for 10 years I was the president and uh, editor in chief, like you said, at Digiday. And um, you know when I joined, it was like basically an events company, and there was like four or five of us. And then you know we grew it into you know I'm pretty proud of of what the brand is, and and grew new brands too with a, a fashion and beauty publication called Glossy, a retail publication called Modern Retail, and then the Future of Work publication that um, I incubated while I was there, but I was I had already left when it launched, and so now I was thinking about what I want to do next. And twenty years in, I, I I didn't want to go into some like new industry really, and I think this is a time. The reason I called it the rebooting was because during COVID was when I started this and um, during like, you know, when COVID started and, you know, what I saw was like, for me, there was like a need to rethink all sorts of things in life. And I think that there, you know, that's why I came up with the rebooting because I think the media industry itself needs to be rebooted, right? Because a lot of the promises of the early internet that you remember, you know, it really never came true. And a lot of the promises of web two didn't come true. Right. And so I'm an optimist. I hate when people say like, I'm cynical because I'm not, but I'm a realist too. And I mm-hmm. think that my hypothesis is that there is a community of people, both publishers and both and marketers too, who want to have a, a more solid and sustainable media ecosystem. And to do that is a lot of execution. It's, it's not just blaming Google and Facebook or Apple, whoever the boogeyman of the day is. It's doing the hard work to build sustainable businesses. And that's sort of what I've been focusing on since I started rebooting like a couple of years ago, basically as a, two years ago as a, a um, less than two years ago as a little bit of a personal project. But, you know, now it's about how do you grow that into, you know, a real company and a real brand. And give me a favor, and I don't mean to be overly pedantic with this, but with people that are not from the media world, can you explain why this kind of like being a sustainable business is something you actually need to focus on? Like, why is the media world so flawed that you actually have to think about, like, how do I make a business that actually sustains itself over time versus just itself, which seems like a lot have over the last couple of decades? Yeah, well, I mean, the publishing business got screwed by the internet, right? Like, I mean, the way publishers made money was basically, you know, each part of it was eroded by, you know, the influx of technology. That's just the reality. A lot of industries have been, have faced upheaval as technology. You know, Mark Andreessen, I believe uh, he said, you know, famously, software eats the world. Well, you know, different industries have, have fared uh, differently. And I think if you're looking at the list of industries who have been most disrupted, um, publishing would be at the top of it. And a lot of that is because, you know, technology allowed advertisers to find audiences wherever they are, allowed advertisers to precisely measure, you know, uh, the results of that advertising. And it really posed a lot of challenges to publishers because they were not able to adapt their business models to fit these new realities. And so I think a lot of times publishers have spent time chasing um, the newest and and shiny object, you know, that was going to be the thing that turns around their business, whether it was iPad editions or Facebook live video, Mm -hmm. or they spent their time like complaining about how Google and Facebook were taking their businesses. The reality is I think that, you know, publishers need to take control of the, of their own sort of future and they need to build sustainable business models. And it's going to be different for every single, for different sectors. Mm-hmm. But I think we're already starting to see there's lots of like, there's lots of very profitable publishers out there you just have to build better business models. And a lot of the problems of publishing 
even from like a consumer's perspective, like, you know, we go on websites and like they're terrible experiences and stuff like yeah. this. That's not a technology challenge. That is mm. a business model challenge. It's not like these publishers don't know that the user experience is shitty. They've just made the calculation that, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. And, you know, I think it's better to like invent a new game rather than, <laughs> than see how much you can, you know, get away with. So, let, uh, you know, I have so many things I want to dig in with you. And before we kind of jump on the entrepreneurial side of this, let, let's lean in on, on the media side a bit more. So with the rebooting, you have uh, strategically kind of gone out, you're, you built the, the, the platform on Substack. Um, so it's great, you know, kind of great self-publishing platform. T- tell me about, you know, building basically a media business as a, as a, as a solo entrepreneur. And is that, and is that sustainable? Um, you know, to create, you know, these, these kind yeah. of, you know, one man, with, maybe with great audiences and great followings, but, you know, what, you know, kind of one man publishing businesses. Yeah, I go back and forth with that. You know, I <laughs> left, I left Digiday in, I think, October. Yeah, it was October 2020. And, you know, I, I wasn't focused on what was next. Um, I was just focused on like, you know, figuring out like all the details of, of the extra from that. But I knew like long-term that I was going to like one, like stay in this industry. And two, I knew that there was going to be a period of time where just because of, you know, the terms I had a non-compete and stuff like this, that I, I was going to have like a gear to, you know, figure out a way to stay relevant. You know, if, mm-hmm. even if I wanted to, you know, get a job somewhere else, like I wasn't going to really be able to do that. And mm-hmm. so you know, as part of the agreement I had that I could like do this uh, Substack and a, yeah. a, a podcast, so I like, put off the podcast for a year yeah. a, as like a personal project. And that's sort of the way I like I, I approached it. Um, but I think in the back of my head, I knew that I wanted to to see a few things. One, can I create like a a product that I want to create? You know, and you know, going back to writing was something that was new, right? I mean, yeah. I had written for a long time, but for most of the previous 10 years, you know how it is. Like you spend your time like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you spend your time managing and stuff like this is like, you know, like 30 people in our group and stuff like this. And and it's very rewarding and stuff, but going back to being able to make stuff yourself is it's harder, but it's, it's rewarding because it is like exactly as you want it to be versus like, you know, it's a different type of reward when you're working with people and trying to make, a product that you're like thinking like this is what I want, but like you're dealing with human beings and stuff like this. And, and it's, it's just a different, it's a different process. So I wanted to see that. And then, and then I wanted to see if it was going to be valued. Right. So I wanted to have a a product that was going to be essential basically to people who are building media businesses. Mm. And, and then finally I wanted to see, and this is probably after the first year because I couldn't really sell anything, whether there was like a business model there because, you know, I wanted to live. And I was pretty sure, yeah, I was pretty sure there would be, but like, luckily, you know, what I saw was, you know, in all three areas that, you know, the, the boxes were checked. I, I feel like I've been able to make a product that I like, and that's like different. And then, you know, the, the type of people who subscribe, you know, beyond the the numbers is like 10,000 some subscribers, you know, they're the quote unquote, right people. They're like high up executives at, at, at media companies, big, small, and in between. And they write and they, they open all the time and stuff and they're yeah. very engaged. Yeah. And then I've been lucky enough to attract um, some really great uh, partners as I've been like 
my new career is like a uh, ad salesman. Um, just something we can talk about. It's great. I love selling ads. <laughs> That's hilarious. We, I want to lean in on something you said on the on the site that caught my eye. Uh, you had a note on there that basically said something to the effect of that your own view is that uh, an independent Perth not only isn't for everyone, comma it isn't for most. Do you still feel yeah. that way? Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I like. Um, I think we went through this weird. We're still going through this weird period of like, you know, creator this, creator that, and I, I understand the impulse in it because, like, I think like if you look for an overall overall trends, like one of which that is sticks in my mind when it comes to media is this shift from like institutions to individuals. You know, we always talk about the lack of trust in in media, right? And the reality is like people trust other people more than they trust like sort of faceless institutions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why Joe Rogan is so popular. You know, that's why Barstool like Mm -hmm. sort of won, if you will, because like they were able to, with Barstool, they were able to harness the power of like individuals, you know, and their reputations and followings. I guess we call them personal brands now, Mm -hmm. but we're able to like aggregate them under a, sort of institutional brand with just mm-hmm. like Barstool, right? And I think you're even seeing like a version of that like with like Axios. So I think mm-hmm. if you're building a media company these days, my guess is most of the ones that I see, they're going to be leaning more into like how can we how can we elevate individuals, you know, because people have more of an attachment with individuals. And like I'll give you like an example, like I've written a lot like over the years, right? Like I've written for magazines, I've written for newspapers, I've written for websites, I've blogged, Twitter, like all this. The level of engagement and the type of engagement and like the depth of it through things like through newsletters and podcasts is like completely qualitatively and quantitatively different. You you hear from people and and they're more connected to you than they are if they're just reading something with your byline on it on a website. And I think part of that is like with email newsletters and that's the power of them is that because the, the inbox is like a place is it's a communication place. Right. So like it's natural to, to respond. Right. And when you, you get emails from, you know, you get emails from a lot of like companies and stuff, but the emails you value, you get from people. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get, you know, and, and I think that's why email newsletters are really interesting. Podcasts are the same way, and I think videos you're seeing with this a little bit diff- is is probably similar in that like the human voice has like a connection, and a lot of it just comes back to human um, because like I did a podcast for years, and I would run into people, and they'd be like, "I'm sorry, it's like a like you know I don't mean this like egotistic, <laughs> because they've been listening to your like, voice like, countless hours, listening to you all the time, yeah." Yeah, and that that establishes a connection that yeah. is interesting, and I took note of that because you know one of the things that you know I've taken away from being in in this in the journalism business through like probably some like I chose to go into this business during like literally probably tw- the worst twenty years of it in the last like two hundred years. So kudos, um, <laughs> do it the hard way. But like one of the things I noticed is this business tries to commoditize you like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the capital owners love to commoditize, you know, the, the, the workers as like inputs on a spreadsheet. And so I think the essential challenge for, you know, all of us who are not the capital people just moving around money is how do we get off spreadsheets and how do we become valued as more as just another input? You know, I'm 49 years old. And the reality is like, when you get, 
when you get when your career advances in publishing, man, you just get replaced by someone younger and cheaper. Like that's the reality. That's what I would always mm-hmm. tell the people when they're like, you know, I understand that it sucks to be like 25, 27 in, in, in this industry, but I'm like, Oh, wait until you're 37. And like, you want to make, you want to like be able to pay a mortgage. Like the, the, the funnel narrows quite a bit. You know, we, we had an office with business insider. I got on that elevator every day and, and like every single person was like under 30. Now they've like, you know, rebalanced with their subscriptions thing, but that's Mm -hmm. not a coincidence. That's mm-hmm. not because like 27 year olds know the internet or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's because the business models were based on keeping the, the, the input costs as low as possible. I want to uh, flip this on its head a little bit. So earlier you mentioned Barstool and how it's kind of a collection of, of, of personalities. And I'm, I'm familiar with them by, as a, let's call it a consumer, but I don't understand them from the media perspective. Oh, you're not a stoolie. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, so, let me make sure I understand. They're still a corporate entity, but they, they, there's a single corporate entry that has a portfolio of people in it versus it being uh, a collective of individuals that have come together and operate as one larger organization, question mark. <laughs> yeah, like they, they have, they're more of like a house of brands. They have like the overall barstool brands, but they have sub brands that are that are really powered by individuals. Right. And so they have their own cast of like individuals. I mean, I think it's a particular sort of case of like, yeah, right. but I think what, what, what I find interesting about Barstool and what I've always found interesting, I used to tell Erica Nardini, the CEO, this all the time. I was like, Erica, anytime we would write about like Barstool, just some business thing, our yeah. traffic would like go nuts. And not only would our traffic go nuts, but like the time on page was like super high. And I would joke with her that it was, because the people were like sounding out the big words, um, <laughs> but, but like evil. you know, they really Funny, did. Evil. <laughs> she thought it was mildly amusing, <laughs> but like uh, I mean, look, they just like they just sold for like whatever, like five hundred million dollars. She's like, say whatever you want. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's like she's like, yeah, let me dry uh, my tears with these hundred dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, the scoreboard, like. Uh, and, and look, the reason that like, you know, a gambling company ended up buying it is because they have such like a, they have such a tight bond with their audience. They don't have the biggest audience. Their technology seemingly is horrific. Like their website experience is like whatever. They didn't win on mastering distribution. They didn't win on mastering algorithms. They didn't win on like a unique format of like advertising or something like this. They won by getting off spreadsheets, by having an incredibly tight, like, human connection with their audience. In fact, like, it is a community, if you ask me. A lot of people are, talk about community, but they have one. Are there groups out there that effectively are in, uh, independents, maybe one, two-person publishing you know, teams or whatever you want to refer to it as, sites, properties, whatever, that are remaining independent and forming their own network of independents to try and effectively create efficiencies of scale uh, that you're aware of? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, just to circle back, I probably never answered. Like, you know, the, the thing with the individual publishing thing, I think a lot of people talk about burnout and stuff like this. And I remember we never had burnout when we were like, I was like, we, we just, I don't know. We just called yeah, it life. It um, but I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm like, Hey, good. Like this is, I, I like that. I like that. We're all like open with our feelings now. I'm into it. Uh, but I think that's just like, it's a grind, like creating content, like every, every day, every week, doesn't matter what you're talking about is 
it's a treadmill and it's hard. And I think a lot of people who are sort of new to that sort of side of the business, they, they realize that, you know, this is an endurance activity and um, it's not for everyone. And so the problem with the solo, that's one thing, but the problem with the solo thing is you have to do everything else. And I think what, what Substack was, was smart about, but I think what is going to limit it is that they decided to abstract all the other stuff, right? So you don't have to do design, really. You don't have to do, like, you do have to do your own, like, audience development and marketing. With That's why the, all those atrocious Twitter threads are out there. But you don't have to do really much on the monetization side other than, like, create great content. You just hype up. You, you hook up your, a Stripe account and you have a media business. As long as you have something to say that people value and, mm-hmm. and want to support, right? I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. But the reality is, you know, that's not going to work for most people. And, and therefore, like, they're going to have to build more, more diversified businesses. And, and the problem is, it's like, how do you keep those infrastructure costs lower? Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see, like, people gathering in these kind of micromedia companies. And you're already seeing that something like, like every, it's like a collective of, like, newsletter writers. And yeah. I believe you'll see more of that because, like, what people want is sort of the it's like anything. Everyone wants the best of both worlds, right? They yeah. want the sort of like independence, like slash autonomy of mm-hmm. like being like solo, but they want the sort of security and they want the like camaraderie and they want like the infrastructure of being part of like a larger organization. Yeah. And I think that it used to be just this trade-off. It's like, you're either going to do one mm-hmm. or the other, and my belief is that you're going to end up, the, the real action is going to be somewhere in between, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be able to have like, yeah, you're going to set, life is full of trade-offs. So you're going to, tra- you're going to trade off some like autonomy in order to have a little bit more like security, be able to like, you know, take a week or two off now mm-hmm. and again, not deal with a lot of the stuff that you're like not great at. And mm-hmm. also like you don't have leverage doing, like, I think that's one of my big, like, lessons of doing it all myself is like there's a lot of things that like i can do right but like should i be should I do them? Yeah, exactly right am i the best person to do yeah. quickbooks yeah. Yeah. i don't think so <laughs> so, so this, this is a, a great a great segue i'd like to jump over to more about you know we've, we've covered obviously a lot of things that you do well and you you know the business inside out uh, and congrats on the subscriber numbers by the way that's that's fantastic but let's talk a little bit about what it, it's be like. It's uh, like being an entrepreneur for the first time. So you said earlier, you know, forty nine, first time. So you started your, your first business when you were what forty eight, I guess. Uh, you, <laughs> you 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 you've had a bunch of infrastructure. You grew Digiday up as one just one example. You had teams yeah. and, and everything else that can support you. You were in a team management role. Now you're out there not only producing all the content and getting back to your craft, which again is, is awesome, but then having to deal with every other side of it. What would you say the number one thing you've learned in the last year in terms of running your own, you're running truly your own business, not just the leader of the business um, has been for you? The biggest thing is like, I look at it as like an elimination diet, right? Like, you know, like you see, as you get older, you, you end up having things like heartburn and stuff. You got to figure out what the trigger is. So you like, basically you start to take things out and like figure out it, And then you're like, oh, it's black pepper. 
you start to realize, you know, at least for me, like the big like lesson is, and I always like think about it, like, so it wasn't like a big surprise. It's like, where are my greatest points of like leverage, right? And like, where do I need help in? And what can I like not do? And what am I not good at? Like, I mean, I've found that I'm, I'm not great, but I'm pretty good at like selling. Like I'm, I can sell and, you know, I'd never done that before, but I had suspected that because I think that my, my hypothesis, I always talk about hypotheses. Like my hypothesis was that, you know, sales was a lot like reporting, right? Like it's a lot of listening and it's a lot of like taking in a lot of information and distilling it down. You know, a lot of it is like, you know, just like with reporting, like I would like, you know, try to try to meet up with you like on the croissette and can and like, you know, get a rosé or two in you and you'd tell me some information or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's not all that different. I will say though, I think, I think one of the things that is, is unique when you're at the earlier, earlier stage and especially where you're at is you are the product. So I think selling, selling the, you, you know, knowing your product, you know, is part of, Making it make it easy to sell your yeah, product. Yeah, if I can't product, sell right? it, then if I can't sell yeah, yeah, yeah. it, yeah, if you can't sell it, like that. Yeah. I think it's I think it gets harder when you all of a sudden have to start selling, you know, a, a, other people and talking about things that you're not an authority on. But it's so you know, you you sell yourself without having to sell because they're like, yeah, this is this is smart guy, and I like what he writes, and I've read a bunch of other stuff. So I think it, it probably is more natural at that stage. Yeah, and also there's like an there's like a quote unquote advantage. You know, just having been in in the same industry for basically like you know twenty years and stuff like this, and and the network you build up and stuff like this. Presumably, if you're not like an asshole, I mean, <laughs> people should like you know give you more of a chance and stuff like this. But you know, to me, that's like that's earned. Like you know, I would always tell people like earlier on in the career. I mean, everyone's I get it. Like everyone's impatient, particularly when they're younger, and I I, I get that right. But like. You know, the, you you create that kind of leverage by you know showing up every day, every week, you know, for many years in a row, and that like pays off like in, in the yeah. long run. So I think maybe one of the the lessons is that like there's a lot of people, and it's a positive lesson. I've been very thankful. That there's there's a lot of people who who want to help, who have been very generous, like mm-hmm. about like you know with their time and giving advice, and mm-hmm. and also just like taking a chance, like you know, like I remember you know, when I left Digiday and was like, oh, I'm going to start this newsletter. I like went to like Mexico City for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, I'll start it like later. I got a call from someone I've known for, you know, so many years, uh, Aaron Goldman at like uh, Media Ocean uh, is CMO there. And he was like, hey, I'd love to sponsor it. I'm like, really? That's like, I, <laughs> I don't have anything yet. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, and, like, you know, paid for some churros. All right. <laughs> like, oh my God, this, this business stuff is so easy. <laughs> And it's not, but like, you know, I, I think that's been really gratifying um, because like, I think a lot of times people, you know, they, they sort of like overthink a lot of the the business stuff and a lot of it is, is very human anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, marketplaces are just humans, like, you know, meeting with each other and, and mm-hmm. trying to like help each other and help themselves and, and exchange different mm-hmm. goods and services. You talking brought up being the the human side of it, and I think we've talked about a lot of the functional sides of the the business. Are you open to talking about 
you know, any of the kind of emotional journey that you felt as an, as a new entrepreneur, you know, there's a lot of kind of jokes out there about the people where you're like, yes, I'm the king of the world. Like two days later, you're like, I'm going to be another failure. And the three days later, you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like ah. have you felt any of that at all out of interest? Yeah. I mean, I should, I don't consider like, I I've always had like a, like, I don't know the word entrepreneur sort of like uh, gives me like the hives because it's because, because it became like very trendy and stuff like yeah, this. Around, just, like a lot of people who are like quote unquote entrepreneurs who just like in a previous era, they would just call them like, you know, small business owners yeah. or operators. Like, I mean, I don't think like, you know, when I was growing up, like, you know, the, the guy who opened the like you know uh, the, the the grocery store like consider himself an entrepreneur like he wasn't on he sure as hell wasn't on LinkedIn like doing those like one <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, one yeah. sentence paragraphs about like the hustle and the grind and stuff but um uh, <laughs> wait what was I saying I got, I got thrown off oh I was just talking about like, the me- the mental the uh, mental uh, dream, oh like, kind of, yeah I think that's dream. like anything any like and maybe that's just like a being because like I didn't like. I, you know, Digiday was founded by Nick Freeze. I, I didn't found it, right? And like, you know, but I was also like, you know, there like employee four. Like, you know, I I moved the office, you know, with Nick. Like, and and um, I know you're, all you're that. Excellent in assembling desks and chairs because that's a key. Yeah, growing up skill that's that I've acquired. And so I know the like sort of highs and lows. You can't get too high, can't get too low. Anytime I was watching some. Uh, some video of this like uh, ultra runner guy and you know he talked that he had some horrible medical problem and he was like you know anytime anytime you're super high and you're like everything's going great this is great this is amazing you know that it's good you know something bad's gonna happen <laughs> like it'll bring you down but that, you know this to me that's just, jinx. well i think that's just life right like that's yeah. what i think like a lot of times i don't know when people like expect life just to be all like good and and great like i just i not only think that's unrealistic but it's like it's not the human experience otherwise like how would you know when things are great like because everything would just be the same if everything is great then it's just normal like so you know you got to go through you got to go through that and you have to i think you have to appreciate it right every experience is unique positive and negative and you know, I think we make a, a big, too big of a deal about like fetishizing failure and stuff like this. But I think like if you can appreciate that, you know, sometimes like th- bad things happen and they're not like, they're not good. Like there's just, there's no good. There's yeah, no yeah. good out of like yeah, yeah. it. And, and I think we have this tendency sometimes to like pretend that everything is like, you know, a lesson for LinkedIn. Whereas like, no, some things just suck. <laughs> but you have to appreciate it as being, you know, a unique part of like, you know, not only the, experience of building something new but just like the experience of being like a human being so as a guy who may fetishize failure just a little bit i have to i have to ask pop pop quiz you meet you've got two two people that you can work for do you want to work for the person who's had three wins in a row or the person who's had two wins and one failure uh like you know you trust someone more when they've had a little bit of failure or do you trust someone more when they've never experienced failure? I don't know it's, anyone it's who has. It's a Brian experience. Morrison question, not a broad. Well, yeah, oh, okay. Well, yeah. I would I would just say this. So it would be the the latter, I guess, uh, only because like the person who who says that they never like experienced failure is a liar, and I don't want to work with liars. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an easy one. That's a tell. 
<laughs> fair enough. I agree with that one. Be like, no, I'm perfect. Yeah, fair enough. If someone comes in, it's like, oh yeah, it's just been strength to strength, nothing bad. Like you know, yeah. it's just like uh, perfect. I, sometimes I would run into people like, and I would be like, what well, house is it? And they're just like, oh no, it's just great. Everything's great. And I was like, why are you lying? Yeah. Well, so this is a, I guess, again, another great, great segue. You, you've chatted with a lot of really, in, in literally interviewed an enormous amount of really brilliant people throughout your career. And I, you know, I was looking back last night uh, on it, you know, you, you even before, uh, uh, you know, uh, ad week, you were, um, you know, you were even in the Sil- Silicon Alley reporter and looking at like, you know, really, so you've had oh a lot of, a lot of exposure to a lot of people over the years. You went um, deep into my LinkedIn. Oh, I went deep, man. I went deep. I, I want to prep for you know. It's first but first time I get to interview you instead of you interviewing me. I got to make sure I don't make too much yeah. problem myself. <laughs> the best thing that was ever said about like Silicon Alley Reporter. I remember Mike Hogan, who's I believe still at Vanity Fair. We we had a softball game between Silicon Alley Reporter and and Vanity Fair, and he um, and Silicon Alley Reporter for everyone who doesn't know mm. was like this magazine that uh, around the dot com era that covered dot com silly dot com businesses yeah. in New York like. Cosmo and urban trash and shit. And he called in like the email, like trash talk email, he called Silicon Eye Reporter the little red but much feared publication. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's. Uh, that's Don't like, remember that, cool. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think this is why I think you have a pretty uh, low tolerance for kind of like some of this BS because I think you you see so many of these leaders back to back to back, you know, kind of talking about it. And I think people don't like to admit any form of failure sometimes to a reporter. Uh, so I think, you know, I could sense why, you know, you may have seen a, a lot of that kind of uh, banter over the years. But, but I'm intrigued now that you're sitting out there, uh, not only have you been a you know, president of Digiday, but also in, in a, le- a key leadership role, but also now doing your own thing. So anyone you look back at that you met over the last couple of decades that that like really like left an impression on you is like you know you reflect back on me like that that was a cool leader. I mean I don't know if I, I, I I'm trying to think about like naming. But remember if you don't like can't name anyone Brian you know and they're going to call you a no, cynic. No, it's not that. Like I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do that. I will say like you know <laughs> here's that. I guess it's like I think one of the things of like starting this because like I'm figuring out how to like build like the rebooting into like a real company, like having like, you know, building into like verticals and building into like a real publication, not just me, like having like colleagues and stuff like this. And, and that's like a total, it's a strange process for me because it's all new. But I think one of the things is thinking about, it's like, I think, cause I think you learn a lot of stuff as you go on and you learn from like both your experiences, like where you worked and the people you worked for. And like, and I think one of the advantages of like, you know, doing this at my, at my advanced age is that, you know, you've had a lot more experiences, right? If I was doing this at 25, I would have a lot fewer experiences. That's Mm -hmm. just, you know, the upside and downside of like staying around in life. And I think you learn positive and negative. I think the one thing that like I've sort of taken away is with the, the sort of CEOs, entrepreneurs, whatever that like I've respected the most is, you know, they're principled, you know, like I think there's, and not like principled in like slogans and like um, going (laughs) on Twitter and stuff like this, but that they're principled, like when push comes to shove, like that they will stand for something. And, and that seems like very obvious, but there's a lot of people who just simply won't like, as we all know, like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like a little bit like 
hypocritical and we're mm-hmm. all hypocritical to a degree, but like there's a lot of people, you know, there's people who are more hypocritical than others. And I think that is the way to me, from what I've seen, the people I, who I've, you know, admired or respected the most, mm-hmm. like they have principles and they mm-hmm. stand up for them. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm not surprised when I think about your background, why this would resonate with you, because I'm sure a lot of people over the years would come to you, say one thing, and then you'd see them do something completely different as you monitored and watched their business. So I'm sure you saw a lot of like, yeah, that's not what I quoted you as the other day. So um, I'm sure you have a, um, a pretty high I mean, that falls through on these things. It's just, it's the hustle, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you know how it is. It's like so much, so much stuff in like the media and everything is just PR driven and stuff. Nothing against the PR people. You're just doing a job and I get that. But like, you know, that's the the reality. That's the opening I sort of see with the rebooting, honestly. Like I I see, look, I, I respect everyone in this industry. I have good relationships with people like Digiday and Adweek and, and AdAge and various publications. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of coverage is PR driven and a lot of the stuff is not to me the real stuff that like if I'm texting with like, you know, a CEO, CRO and stuff like this, mm-hmm. it's not the stuff they're they're, they're texting me about, like, it's just not, there's a gap there. And that's what mm. I see the opportunity to fill. Mm. I like that. So there's a, there's a healthier level of honesty. I think uh, you're looking for there. Well, what I wanted to do is like, I want to have like a publication. I, I want to have like a series basically of publications that talk about the, the real issues that like, you know, that, that, that happen like on the text threads, like Gawker, mm-hmm. you know, originally, and I think, you know, Nick Denton, like, you know, defined an era when he was saying that it, it, Gawker was going to be about like, you know, not the story that, that journalists would write, but like the, the stuff that it would talk about at the bar afterwards. Right. And that, like, you know, it got taken to such a degree that you can argue sort of, like, you know, it ate its own. But, like, um, I definitely, I think, I, yeah. after me, honest, I was deeply addicted to Gawker at one point, and I miss yeah. it. Badly. <laughs> it defined an era, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not into, like, the more gossipy side of stuff yeah, yeah. like this. I think that there's, like, an uh, uh, there's opportunity there yeah. and stuff like that. It was a guilty pleasure um, site, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, but, like, you know, Digiday, I always wanted, I always wanted us to narrow the gap between what you know was being like presented and stuff like this and the real stuff and like sometimes it was difficult to execute on that but that was the sort of north star i mean i see the opportunity as like you know basically narrowing that gap between you know the stuff that's like out there and like the stuff that's discussed on and in like the text groups between like uh you know top executives and there's just a, a massive gap in my view i mean i could be wrong but like that's my hypothesis find out so uh you know it's worth noting i'm a subscriber uh to the rebooting uh and you know in anticipation of this episode i obviously made a point of going back and just digging through some of the articles uh and just rereading some of them and just having it fresh in my head and the, and the thing Did i think really, any ads <laughs> i i'll make sure to click an ad on every page next time <laughs> <laughs> no no only things that you're interested in so so obviously kidding but the uh you know one of the things i love about the rebooting now it, it just it feels like something that's more personal than i've seen you do before you can yeah. really see this kind of side of your personality come through it's like it's more like an intimate conversation and so one of the things that really caught my eye was that you you uh, this feeling that you're kind of weaving these personal stories in some cases almost as like allegories for bigger le- lessons about the publishing industry like one of the ones that i want to single out is 
it's called the Paperboy Chronicles, and it helps kind of communicate the economics of media, but basically through your experience as a paperboy as a kid. And I thought that was really cool. I'm glad you. I'm glad you caught up. Caught that. I'm some on it, man. I'm on it. Some people just thought it was me. It was like, why are you telling me about like me? <laughs> no, no, I, I loved, I loved it. And so, I, but it made me think to myself. So, in five years' time. Do you think, assuming you're still doing the rebooting, and I hope you are, and it's got a hundred thousand subscribers, do you think you'll be as self-referential as maybe talking about maybe the lessons that you've had as starting a solo entrepreneur to explain new stories? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes makes total sense, and I think that's always like the question of like these kind of like endeavors. It's like. Hey, you can do stuff for one week, two weeks, you know, 10 months or something, but are you going to do it for 10 years and stuff like this? I think the, the sort of, I, I hope that, I hope that what I do is not like too self-referential. I think it's just like a way to differentiate, right? I think that's important. I think people, it establishes a human connection between like um, the person, you know, writing uh, and the, 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 the person who's, subscribing and reading the content and that's really the goal right like what i think with that like i got like so many different people who you know they recounted their own like experiences and stuff and like and honestly also it's summer so you just do stuff like that during the summer but no i don't think so i mean like i don't really view like where you know i think that where the rebooting wants to where i would like it to go is more in the nuts and bolts of the publishing industry i think what i'm doing with the the this particular product is going to be somewhat different than and than some of the other verticals that we're going to have a lot of it honestly is just like sort of instinct i don't know if that's good or bad but i just like i've always been someone like who like you know i don't pour over like over open rates and and make decisions based on 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 that this is where that accumulated experience comes from, though. I think there's a healthy level yeah. of intuition there. So uh, I, mem- I remember the audience I put a pretty damn funny comment here. So uh, Robert Babcock wrote, uh, light bulb moment for me. Successful people always seem to have a stack of books behind them in video oh. calls. Now, you look like you have a very precarious stack of books, though. Is this no, sort of it's just, you can't, can't afford a bookshelf back there? You're just balancing that? Is that a metaphor? That is startup? partially <laughs> Well, yeah. Uh, Thank you, Robert. That means I'm successful, I guess. Uh, No, it's just a weird. It's just a weird bookshelf. But like, I, I, there is a bookshelf there. I was eyeballing it and going, God, I'm terrified. Yeah, no, it's it's a bookshelf. (laughs) No, I, I'm in, I'm in Miami right now. I've lived here for the last two years. I'm about to move back to, uh, to New York City, and so like most of my books are, are, are elsewhere. I didn't move. I didn't move all my books. So, arguably, have you been in New York? It, through the Robert Bamcock lens, you would look even more successful because there'd be even more books. Oh uh, yeah, there'd be there'd be way more. Books. So, <laughs> Man, he'd be um, like, I don't know what it is, but like I don't like I know it's like a cliche of like you know people like I don't know it's become very strange like where I see this on Twitter a lot. People are, are like they want to like I feel like they read books in order to like put it on Twitter that they read a book like as if it's a big accomplishment or something. I'm like we used to just read books because we were like just living life like yeah. not for like any social currency. That's too funny. Brian, it, it was so fun to have you on on ship today. I really I really appreciate you uh finding some time yeah, to come fun. come chat with us. Um so um for anyone who wants to you know, learn more about the rebooting 
it, you first of all, you can just Google the rebooting and, and the page comes up as, as the first uh, first search results. Or you can go to the rebooting.substack.com, I believe. Yeah, I have the domain. I have to just change it over to. Yeah, I was going to have a chat with you about that, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> you get you straightened out on the domain. And then all jokes aside, where else should people look for you? Twitter, LinkedIn? What do you recommend? Uh, I mean, I have a podcast too. It's yeah. called The Rebooting Show. You can find it on, on Apple and Spotify. I think it's on Anchor too. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter. And for noting, I also uh, check their podcast out. And so, so you got some great reviews on there. So that's, that's great. Yeah. I know. Uh, one thing, just a fair warning. I, I joined Twitter back in like the early days. I don't know, like 2008, whatever, when it yeah. started and stuff like this. So I still use Twitter that way, like more in the like, you know, jokes about what, what I had for lunch or whatever like that. I'm not like an, I'm not <laughs> an earnest OG tweeter. Twitter. <laughs> No, if you want the, if you want the 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 threads and stuff like this, it's just yeah, not yeah. it's not my game. <laughs> okay, noted. Well, again, I, I strongly recommend people check out rebooting. It's 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 great content, Brian. You're always fascinating. So thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks fun, for your journey and, and being so open with us. Uh, for those of yeah. you, whether you're uh, watching live on any of our streams right now, or you're watching afterwards, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or any other platforms we're streaming on, or you're listening in on any of the podcasts, whether that's on you know Apple, Google, or any of the other places we're streaming, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And just something we do for passion here, and the best thing you can do to support us, share it, give us a like, subscribe, tell your friends. And you know what? If you've got a great guest that you think should be on our show, uh, send us a note and we'll see what we can do to uh, consider them to be a potential uh, person to join us one day. Ryan, thank you one last time. And uh, we will see all of you next week on O-Ship. The O-Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie, we'll see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O-Ship Show.